0: Do you want to talk about books? Yeah! Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Today I have my friend Olga Pishniak-Lawrence on the podcast to talk about her book, Out of the Wilderness. Olga is the mother of two precious children, Michael, who is a dear friend of my little girl, Maya, and she's married to Chris, a lover of animals, and they have plenty. She is the author of An Everyday Mama Finds a Passionate Life, and living an empowered life personally and professionally, which you can find on Amazon or in her Etsy shop called Motivated Mama by Olga. She is a creator of an organic aromatherapy skincare line, which I have used and love, a blogger, life coach, and the co-creator of an online five-week course, the Transform Your Life program. She is a very dear friend of mine And I loved getting to sit down and talk to her about her book. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Olga, can you give the listeners a quick summary of your book?
1: Sure, Beth. I'd love to. I actually have prepared a logline that I've shared on a website. I don't remember the name of it right now, but it was actually the logline of the month. So that's pretty impressive. That is. (laughs) So here it is. Out of the wilderness is a Christian fantasy in which Hopeless is renamed Hopeful during a spiritual journey of tests and adventures where she overcomes monsters and sinister beings while leading her team to victory and her own self-discovery of who she truly is in Christ Jesus, a queen with royal blood.
0: Olga, I love that description, and thank you so much for reading that out. That would make me want to read it right away. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And I love how you put the element of the fantasy. In there, especially for fans of, of fantasy. I don't do feature a lot of that on the mm-hmm. podcast. It's definitely a good book for those who are fans. To start off, can you share a little bit about the inspiration for the book and your process for writing it? I'd love to hear about the behind the scene process.
1: Yeah, I would love to. But to be quite frank. It, it was an unusual process. Um, there might be some people who can relate to it, but I will honestly give credit to the Holy Spirit. Honestly, as as soon as I sat down, I, I had no idea where it was going. So it was like a story that was opening up for me that I it was an invitation for me to step into and experience it. So what happened Every time I sat down, I would pray. I would invite the Holy Spirit to just write for me. And honestly, the process was I would just start writing. uh, Whatever that came to my head, I would write and write and write. And I would not stop until I knew it was time to stop. Um, And, you know, I would take because I had a toddler um, back then. And I was kind of having. Well, my kids are almost seven and almost uh, four. But at that time when I was writing this book, I had one child. uh, And she was about a year and a half years old, something like that, maybe two tops, and sometimes she'd jump on my back, and she'd be jumping my, on my back, and I'm trying to type away, or I'll take 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and there were honestly times in the night when I would wake up, and I was driven, I, like I knew I had to write, and I would sit down, and I would write for hours, but this was great, you know, to have that time that was uninterrupted, I mean, I was tired during the day, but God knew that things had to be done and it would have been easy to say, hey, you know, a mother of a small child, don't do it, a better time. But it was that season for me. I knew I had to get it out. I knew that book had to get out and I just wanted to be a faithful steward of that book, of that story. And I did not want to bury any of my talents that God had given me. Uh, so it's kind of unconventional. I will give credit to the Holy Spirit, it was Holy Spirit's uh, story. I was just like the vessel, the tool. I just wrote it out.
0: Olga, I love that you said that about good stewardship, because that's something that I've been convicted of lately, is being a good steward of the gift that God has given me, and especially... The time that I have to work on this podcast to really make sure that I am being a good steward of that, I I do want to ask you a quick this this isn't a question we had discussed before, but how did you handle resistance when you were trying to write? Because I'm thinking a small mm. toddler, how difficult that is when you were describing this. Did you have a lot of resistance, and how did you handle that? If you don't mind sharing,
1: Beth, I'm very happy you asked me that question because honestly. I had so much resistance, especially with this book. I had so much resistance even in my marriage. Um, there was just such pushback on so many things, my interpersonal relationships, uh, issues between my, me and my husband. There's just so many things. And the thing that help, helped me get through this, I just kept saying in my head that this must be an important book. This must be an important story for me to have such uh, spiritual warfare, and I would recognize that as spiritual warfare. I knew that something was fighting me, and uh, people around me were behaving in different ways, and things around me were behaving in different ways. So I the only thing I could really do was uh, I had to follow through, trust God that He knew what He was doing, listen to the Holy Spirit, and I prayed. I prayed, and if you're familiar with spiritual warfare, you Pray to evict those spirits, to cancel their assignments, et cetera, et cetera. I just sever those connections from those evil things and evil entities. And whenever I prayed, things would be better. They would let up. But those, you know, little suckers, they, they do come back after a time. So you just have to constantly pray, be vigilant. I noticed that whenever I wouldn't be vigilant, when I felt like oh, things are calm, things are okay for a while, out of the blue, things would pop up. And then I'll be like, what is going on? You know, I'm having a crazy day. Everything is going wrong. That I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't prayed about this for a while. I haven't been standing on guard for a while. Lots and lots of warfare. But you know, if it's God's work, you will experience warfare. So just be prepared and just trust that God loves you so much. He'll help you get through it. No matter how dark it looks. And it sometimes looks pretty dark. I'm not going to lie. But I had to be obedient. I love that, Olga. I'm so glad I asked that question because I just
0: think of like how it's those little tiny things that can seem so innocuous that just try to spoil the day to get that work done. And mm-hmm. so I appreciate you saying that to remember to pray. And that's, I do notice a difference. I'm, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I definitely notice a difference when I sit down to work on the podcast. If I've prayed beforehand, mm-hmm. then if I just try to go in and get the work done, if I'm in a rush and a hurry, it a difference in that I enjoy the work more because I feel like it is in communion with God. So I, I really appreciate you saying that so much. And we will get to this in a little bit, but this book is so much about spiritual warfare, which does need to be addressed in literature. And I think it can be done so well in literature and speak to us so well in literature. So it, it has a place and it is very needed. I've mentioned this to you before, but your book reminds me of Heinz Feet on High Places by Hannah Hernard, the allegorical aspect, especially and also a little bit of Pilgrim's Progress, which we'll we'll get into a scene that especially makes me feel like Pilgrim's Progress, which I'm getting ready to read a children's version with my little girl. Now, I'm not sure if I shared this with you about how formative Heinz Feet on High Places was in my teen years, but we actually did, I did actually share this with her because this is our second time to record. But this was the original, um, original question. So it is a very special book to me, as is your book. And my mom introduced me to Heinz Feet on High Places. And recently you've been reading your book with your daughter. Can you share a little bit about what that experience has been like and how has the story changed for you since reading it with her?
1: Reading my book to her was and still is a dream come true because I thought when when things were tough back then and I was writing it and um, I felt like perhaps nobody will read it, nobody will understand it, nobody will care about it, even though it took me so, so much work, you know, with this whole spiritual warfare, I felt like I sacrificed so much. But I thought if my children read it and can connect to it, and I can help them somehow and inspire them, then it would be worth it. And so now that I, I've read this book to her, and she's so excited to to read more of, of, of the story. Uh, well, okay, spoiler alert, I'm writing a second one, a sequel. Uh, she just, she cannot wait. And she's so excited to share this book with other people. Uh, she asked me to write personal messages in, in the book. Uh, for the other people and she hands them out. Uh, she says it's her favorite book. And so it makes me feel very happy that now it's not just a book. Um, it's my gift to to the future, to the children that will come after my children, to my grandchildren. It's an inheritance to them that I will be leaving behind. So it's something that will live on when, long after I'm gone. Uh, so it's become more than a story. It's I guess it's my invitation to the future and to future generations to kind of like almost walk it out or jump into the story with me. And when they'll be reading it, I I feel like I will almost be like there with them because parts of me are within that book.
0: I love what you were saying because it just was reminding me of that's the legacy that you have to leave behind in your life besides your children, which are also a, a wonderful legacy. But that's just such an amazing thing. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Adorning the Dark. By Andrew Peterson. No. Okay, so I, I need to get you a copy because what you're saying is he has this beautiful passage about writing for the next generation and oh. how your what you're writing may be for the one girl who can't who has had something happen to her and needs healing. So I just was thinking of that as you were talking. So I need to get you a copy of that book because I think that it will greatly encourage you. And and everything that you were saying is just is is in there. So it's so. It is so true, especially at this time. I am planning on doing a series on books for childhood classics for girls. And I've just been thinking about what children face now in this world. Mm. And especially in the literature that is being written right now.
1: Oh my goodness, that's right. And it's so
0: heavy. Mm -hmm. And it's just too much for their little shoulders to bear. And to have books like this and books like those classics To give them the tools and the weapons that they need to face the darkness of this world is one of the best things that we can do for this generation.
1: You know what else? When you were just saying that, those type of books, and we need to create more books like that, we need to give our kids their innocence back. I feel like the children of this generation and possibly the future generations, and actually our generation, I don't know, what, wherever it starts, but we have been robbed of our innocence. And children need that innocence that will help them feel more lighthearted and excited to learn, explore the world, and just feel, I don't necessarily want to use the word magical, but like, I don't know, like this. Whimsical? Whimsical, but that it doesn't even say. So whimsical mixed with adventure. Fantastic let's put it this way i want them to feel fantastic right (laughs) yeah i
0: love that olga because i'm just thinking of all the like the fairy tales and the things where within these stories within your story as well there is darkness that has to be faced Mm -hmm. so when within bringing their innocence back it is not to say that they're they don't have an understanding of evil and and Mm -hmm. that there's darkness in the world Mm -hmm. but it shelters them and prepares them to know that evil is overcome. And I think that a lot of the books now, it is not, it's just so murky and there is not a definite evil and good doesn't always overcome it. And sometimes evil is disguised as good and it's Mm -hmm. just, it is just too much. And like you said, there is just this innocence that is being stripped from children's lives. Mm -hmm. So
1: this is so necessary. I agree. And the challenge here now is, when you prepare the children to understand there's darkness is not to do in such a way that it's robbing them. So that's the difference. Like you can be aware of the darkness and you need to learn how to fight it, but don't be robbed by it and just keep that innocence in. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. it's
0: not where we're, we're not praising the darkness. We're not majoring in on the darkness. It's the good. The good is what is praised. The good is what we major in on. And so that's, I think, the big difference is that a lot of the books now, it is glorifying the dark glorifying darkness glorifying mm-hmm. darkness. And it is just steeped in it, mm-hmm. whereas you just think of your story and a lot of fairy tales where it might start off in a, in a dark way, but light is brought in and they're longing for the light. Mm-hmm. There is the desire for it, whereas like the stuff that we're talking about, there is not a desire to get out of this darkness.
1: Yeah, then normalize it and actually make it cool. Like the vampires and being, wanting to be like a vampire or witches. Which, yeah,
0: I know I'm, I am like very much, uh, very much with the whole vampire thing is that we do understand that vampires are a type of antichrist, Mm -hmm. the way that they have like the communion, uh, this Mm -hmm. twisted communion of feasts to have drinking their blood. Yeah. So that's like, I'm like, let's not, (laughs) let's not hold those up as, uh, as, as heroes in our world. And we've been talking about this, but a couple of major themes in the book are the reality of spiritual warfare and spiritual growth, which is Mm -hmm. also important for fighting that darkness and equipping children. Let's talk about why both are so important to include in literature. I've just kind of said some of that and why it was important for you to have them as central parts of your story.
1: Well, um, let me just start off like this. This book is a symbolic representation of my very own experience. It showed what I went through in the past what was going on in the present, and prophesied many experiences I would have to go through in the future. So years after having written it, I keep coming back to it to realize more and more why certain parts were included in the book and what they truly mean to me now. Spiritual warfare is a part of our existence. And if we keep moving forward and crushing the enemy, we have spiritual growth. We cannot grow if our lives are devoid of challenges and we have plenty of them. That's for sure. The enemy wants to steal, kill and destroy. And we are in a constant battle through life, a battle of good versus evil, light and darkness. So what was interesting now is that I keep going back to the book. Every time I go back, I learn something new about spiritual warfare or I make connections between the characters or learn certain lessons, it's, it's like a living book for me. Mm-hmm. And even, we'll get to certain parts uh, in this interview a little later, but even certain things that I was reading about, up about a certain question that we have later, there's some things that are just opening up to me again yesterday for the first time. And I feel like that book also will speak to you certain things at the time of when you need to know those certain things. So, well, spiritual warfare is such a big part of the book. It really, it's like all of the book, um, you might say. Um, and you can't ignore it because every day you wake up, you're going to live out through it until the day you die. So it's something that I feel people keep hidden, but yet at the same time, we live it every almost every second of our day. And even at night, some people experience it, all sorts of things. So I wanted to bring it to light. Um, or maybe not not necessarily me, like I said, Holy Spirit was emphasizing all these things. And if we listen, we will understand what he was trying to teach us. I love that, Olga. Okay, we're going to
0: discuss one of my favorite moments in the book. Is this what you were referring to? Yes,
1: that's the one. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. right
0: after. (laughs) When greed is mortally wounded and the prophet goes to him, you so beautifully handle a difficult passage in scripture in the middle
1: of the book. And it's the verse... It's in Luke 12, 20. You fool. So this is what God is saying. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So the way that Olga writes it in the book is just, like I
0: said, it's so beautifully done because there is a compassion in how the prophet speaks to the family of the man and a compassionate grief for him by the prophet and his followers. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard it presented that way, and it takes the words of Jesus, and and brings the, brings out his compassion and his love. It is not in a, I mean, it is a judgment, but it is not in a harsh way. It's a it's a grieving, um, much like when he says, "Oh Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings." So it's it's just so beautifully done, and. Many of the characters mourn over this. Mm-hmm. So I want you to, to talk about this fresh insight that you have for this passage.
1: Well, I think to really understand this passage, I have to read a little bit yeah. from it. Okay. I will take some time if that's okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was very strange for me to see that confusion led us in a very unpredictable, chaotic way to the destination, which would have taken us three times faster to get there if we simply walked straight from point A to point B. Finally, we reached a painful scene. A man was lying on the ground next to a very tall barn. It looked like the barn was still in the middle of construction. People were everywhere, watching, murmuring. Children were crying. Even the animals were loud and obnoxious. This was a scene filled with disorder, anxiety, and distress. The prophet began to run towards the man on the ground. I followed. As we drew near, I could see that the man was in a bad state. Blood was everywhere. His limbs were in unnatural positions. A woman in fancy clothing was on her knees, crying and holding onto one of his hands. The man was silent, motionless, and very pale. What happened here? The prophet looked at the wife for an explanation my husband, son of greed, said to me, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Luke twelve eighteen 18-19. And I did nothing to stop him, He was working on extending this big barn that you see, making it taller and grander when he fell off the roof and onto this place where he is right now. Oh God, what will I do as a widow? She began to wail and tear at her clothes. The prophet looked at her with sorrow in his eyes. I pray that this would be the message I would not have to deliver, but I must. This is what God is saying. You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself luke twelve twenty he rose up and shouted for all the people to hear. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards god luke twelve twenty one He looked at the wife, tears streaming down his face, his stature filled with compassion. Make him comfortable, for tonight he will move on from this life. Pray your prayers of salvation. Then he turned around and with decisive steps moved out of that scene, past all the silent and stunned people. I picked up the items that he left behind and ran after him until I reached the old man. I slowed down my pace, knowing instinctively that he wanted to be left alone. Walking behind him, I was burdened not only with the items I was holding, but also with the weight I sensed that he was carrying. It was not a physical weight. When we got to his tent, I stopped, not sure if I could go in yet, but he turned around and motioned for me to enter. He took the staff, the book and the bag from me, pulled out a chair and motioned for me to sit down. He drank some water as he looked out the window contemplating. Returning to the book, he searched for something. Having found it, he pointed towards a particular verse, gave me a pen and paper, and told me to copy it until I could recall it by memory. Having done so, the prophet went out of the tent, telling me quietly that he'll be back soon. I went on to write 50 times, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope in the future Jeremiah 29 11. and that's where I will stop because if now that I want to have a little discussion where it will make sense why I had to read this whole passage mm-hmm. so what I've learned this was actually the first time ever yesterday I was looking at this passage and I found it interesting I'm like why did the Holy Spirit make me right out of that bear like after this traumatic event that she had to write out 50 times, 50, actually it's a number of freedom, I looked, a freedom, release, new cycle, year of Jubilee. A uh, Year of Jubilee, according to this um, online source, is what happens every 50 years. It's an economic, cultural, environmental, and communal reset when the land and people rest and all those who are in slavery are set free. So. That was highlighted. Okay. So there's importance in that number that brings us, you know, freedom and um, such a reset. And I think we need to reset our minds to look at prosperity and future and wealth abundance. Um, People are so scared to talk about wealth and prosperity. But we have to look at all of that with fresh eyes. And I think the the worry is here. Pe- most people approach looking at that from the human perspective, the man's perspective, the man's greed, which, you know, God is not happy with that. Like we we heard the verses where he was t- talking about your life is demanded from you. Uh, others will have your wealth. Um, so in, in but the man was happy with his wealth. He thought he could rest for many years, just be happy, get you know, be merry. But what happened? His focus uh from the man's perspective on wealth and prosperity brought him destruction, brought him death. Um, it was not constructive. Now God is inviting us into that prosperity, but from his perspective, we also have to focus on how this will bring glory to the kingdom. And here God is saying. 50 times to imprint this passage into our heads. And you can dive deeper into 50 times in the Jubilee. I'm not going to make this like a sermon here. But here he's saying that, like, I'll read this again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Here it is. God's prosperity and not harm you. Does not harm you. If you go through a man's perspective, from the man's perspective, it will bring you harm. Now, in God has this, it continues on plans to give you hope in the future. So God's prosperity gives us life, hope, future. It's building up. So I think, and I just found it amazing. Like I've never put those two and two together before. But again, reading this, it's hit me. What's the connection? Why was it important for the prophet to tell hopeful, do this? imprint that imprint that in your mind he was teaching her a lesson prosperity is not harmful but if you approach it through a man's vision it will bring you death and destruction but if you approach it through god's plans for you it brings about hope future and a blessing to the kingdom i'm so glad that
0: you read that passage and i love that I love that. I think it's such a wonderful distinction how you brought that out of the difference between man's prosperity and God's prosperity, because that can get so murky. Mm -hmm. And that is just so it's so clarifying Mm -hmm. and so beautifully done. Thank you for sharing that with us.
1: Thank you for Mm -hmm. listening.
0: Um, I also want to talk about the part where they go to the giant of false humility Mm -hmm. and where Destiny, one of the followers of Hopeful. Yes. And I want to read a section of Mm -hmm. that and then we can talk about Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and also what your favorite part was to write in the book. This reminds me so much of Pilgrim's Progress. It's so reminiscent. It's so it's just lovely. But they have come to this the city and it's very gray and there is a man called the giant of false humility so slowly hopel- hopeful not hopeless mm-hmm. hopefuls followers start not falling away but they start being misled misled by this giant of false humility so i'm going to read a section from this the land was dusty and gray there was no color I encountered Destiny, a beautiful woman from my team, who was sitting upon a stool, motionless, holding on to a bit of thread and ra- ragged fabric. She seemed to be going gray as well. The color within her seemed to be flickering and slowly going out. She sat there, motionless. I cried out to her, ran, and hugged her dusty body. She didn't respond, but only looked at me with dry and empty eyes. Her face was so beautiful and full of promise, but even as I looked upon her countenance, I could see dust settling in between every crevice, making her look older and older and more and more weary. I asked her to please come with me, but she refused. As if on autopilot, she got up, proceeded to tell me that she was busy and that she was needed here, walked into an alley, and sat down on the ground, continuing to stitch something into the ragged fabric. I became aware of the many more women lining the sides of the alley, seeming to stitch onto their ragged fabrics in unison. The alley was gray, dank, and cold. Stone walls brought no comfort to their ramrod backs. Everything about them seemed so full of empty purpose. I found a few more of my women there, but they were already gone too. I proceeded fervently to search the rest of the city to find my men. They were doing all the right chores, splitting wood, cutting grass, setting up and breaking down buildings and storehouses over and over again. They worked so hard, all doing the same work. No one standing out. Gray and lonely, amidst so many. I couldn't talk to them over the noise they were constantly generating. I walked away, pained and broken. Finding a wisp of a tree by the side of the road, I sat down under it. That is where my emotions finally caught up with me. I cried my heart out. War did not take them out. Starvation didn't have its hold on them. Hard work and weariness was a small threat. My people were ready for anything that came hard at them. But in this land of false humility, they succumbed to its spirit so easily, so quickly, so seamlessly.
1: Wow. And I found that so amazing when you were reading it. I was getting fresh perspective. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) Well, it just was interesting, like, to see that women, okay, Mm -hmm. there's, I remember writing about, you know, the parts mm-hmm. for the women, the men, but like the focus on what the women are doing and the focus on what the man is doing, the roles as well. Um, I don't know, it made me feel so, sa- for, for whatever reasons, particularly made, maybe because I'm a woman, mm-hmm. made me feel so sad when you were reading about the women, mm-hmm. all these women lost in these little things with a sense of false humility. And we've lost, I think, generations, and of course in men too, but it's particularly mm-hmm. right now, it's it's resonating with me so much. Because when I grew up, women were like second-class mm-hmm. citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were they were so succumbed to this false humility to behave in a certain way, to be meek and mild, to do, do little chores over and over. Um, and a lot of them, look, their faces actually looked mm-hmm. pretty gray. Um, and it just hit me right now. And I just felt such compassion and ache and hurt. But the other bigger perspective I want to like see the big picture is that when, I, when you were reading that, I almost felt like the Holy Spirit was experiencing, experiencing that. Like he's coming in and trying to say speak to us mm-hmm. and wake us up to the women, to the men. But they're so caught up and being so loud that they cannot hear and now I'm remembering the passage from the bible like be still I know that I'm God mm-hmm. how often do we do that mm-hmm. you know so it's almost I felt like there's the Holy Spirit ex- explaining or sharing his experience with what it is like to communicate with men and women on a daily basis there isn't much and he keeps coming back and he mm-hmm. wants to speak he wants to give us fresh insight and life and life with abundance. But yet we're so scared to go outside the norm that we'd rather be safe in this little thing. You know, my humility comes from like not standing out to be as unnoticeable um, and just constantly do it. so task oriented. And that also, again, brings me forth the other thought, you know, of Mary and Martha like one new one to slow down and just sit at Jesus's feet. But Martha was so task oriented, like she resented Mary and she wanted to be like Mary. But she was so caught up in this false humility of like, I have to do, I have to perform, I have to represent, you know, um, I have to do all these things. And I don't know, just when you're reading that, this perspective came forth, like I haven't really thought about it so much, but now there's so much to go in and jump in again for me to even process. When I was
0: reading it, I kept thinking of toil. And I think it's fresh on my mind after reading The Yearling. But these women are toiling. There's no beauty. And I I think that's something that is always close to my heart is how God brings beauty into our lives. It isn't great. So this is outside of him to not have that that beauty. They're toiling with rags. And he doesn't give us rags. And he doesn't have us to toil. Mm. So I just, I I just love that you bring that out as difficult as mm-hmm. this is, but you bring that out to remind us and how easy it is to succumb to this, mm-hmm. how, how those, how it's like the frog in the pot of boiling water, mm-hmm. how we don't even realize what's happening, but how these things are important. These, we have tasks we have to do mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. We have menial tasks, but that there can be beauty and joy in that. I don't know if you've ever read the book, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Mm. I have not, but I want to. I've heard of that. A friend of mine was talking about it, and I know that he he was very – good about praising God and, and within the menial task yeah, like
1: washing dishes right like,
0: washing dishes but there's that difference there was that joy there's yeah. that that beauty and that color that comes with that it's not playing with rags
1: yeah no I feel you I went through phases in my life where I would be intentional about experiencing God and like doing laundry or cleaning and I need to get back to that again because mm-hmm. that was beautiful and it's kind of like fun and you're connecting and there's this relationship going but also I'll go back what also another thing that hit me um and this expectation for certain groups like the women were doing the quiet tests they were supposed to make no noise right and the men were being super loud i don't know just something to be gleaned from that as well mm-hmm. like the expectation like you mm-hmm. gotta make lots of noise and they're making lots of noise but they weren't really doing anything mm-hmm. and women were being so quiet and they're just constantly doing and doing but again meaningless as well in that instance,
0: yeah. And in both instances, they're being kept from their destiny. They're getting being kept from their destiny. They're being kept from and from God. Yes, because you can be too loud and you can't hear Him, but you can be so consumed mm-hmm. with the little things, the little things that you can't hear Him even yeah. in the quiet. So I think that is just mm-hmm. again Olga so beautifully done. I am curious, yes. what was your favorite part to write in the book?
1: Do you have a favorite? Do you? Can you share favorite that part of the book? Oh, goodness. Um, I got to think about it. Okay. Okay. The favorite parts were when she was trying to lead people. Mm. I think because I learned from that, like, and I have this thing in me that I always was like a leader growing up. Like I knew there was something in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the false humility that I grew up in, very fundamental uh, Pentecostal bringing super fundamental. I mean looking back and I love I-, I love the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, everything. But that was like that upbringing was you would define it and I hate stifling. to say like, stifling, but like it was a cult. Mm. Mm-hmm. I- I'll be frank, it was a cult. It separated families, separated mm. children from the parents. Like parents were so scared to lose uh mm. face. Mm. Uh so they'd rather separate from the kids. It, yeah, it it was it was pretty horrible. So back to a question. I always knew that there was something in me. And because I was a leader, I asked questions and I suffered for it. Um, And so when I see her learning to step into that leadership role and how people respond to her, some appreciate it, some like it, dislike it, whatever, and the challenges that come with it. That really resonated with me, and then like the her compassion for the people resonated with me. I've struggled with that before, where I wanted to help but I people refused the help or didn't want to see it. Yes, so those are the parts, and I think the parts when there's this breakthrough and she's helping freeing people, Mm -hmm. that's like the joy that I feel when there's I feel people have become liberated in some way. That makes it all. basically kind of like the reason for my existence. So those are the parts where I see her dealing with conflict, like leadership role and figuring out figuring out how to deal with it and how to, even though she doesn't want to or it's too hard, but she keeps going. Um, those are the parts I think that really resonate with me. I mean, I loved everything, but those are the parts where like, wow, there's a challenge. What's what's going to happen next? Because like I, like I said, I wrote this with the Holy Spirit. I did not know what was going to happen next. And those are the parts from like the discovery part. Oh, this is happening. Those discovery moments. Oh, this is where it went. Those are my favorite parts, like surprises in the book.
0: I also thought of your daughter when you're talking about the the leadership, your, mm-hmm. your little girl is definitely a leader, which I'm going to get to. I also t- told you months back mm-hmm. how the character Joy in the book, which we haven't talked much yes. about, but she is a delightful character, a little girl that appears to hopeful and she's just this um, bolsters her to be able to face the trials that she will face. But I was saying how This little girl reminds me of Olga's daughter. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we've been discussing that. And did you have her in mind when you wrote the character? And what do you think about the parallels between your little girl and Joy?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I absolutely absolutely agree. Uh, No, she wasn't in my mind as a representation of Maya when I was writing the story. Uh, But definitely, when I was reading the book to her, that was the moment, uh, I did think that Joy was very much a picture of Maya. Even their ages are similar at the moment. And I'm very curious to see how this character develops in the follow-up books, to see if maybe there's something prophetic there, a prophetic connection. Well, I have a slight suspicion, but we'll have to wait and see.
0: Okay. And so does Maya see herself as Joy?
1: Uh, I think she connects to Joy. Because Mm -hmm. she kind of represents her. She looks like her. She's that age. But I would say she sees herself more as hopeful. Yes. Uh, I think she connects to the leader role and to overcoming challenges, um, to going forward, even though things are hard. I think she connects more to hopeful. And I'm curious to see uh, in the future how I do believe Joy does have connection to Maya and represents her in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I want to see that development. Maybe there's a prophetic function there somewhere. Uh, But at the moment, Joyce is a wonderful, happy occasion every time she pops up in the book. But I think Maya connects the most to the leader that hopeful is. But we'll see. I do believe joy is a parallel to Maya in real life. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see how that unfolds. Yes, I
0: I have said to Olga before that, when I read the book, I see Maya as joy because mm-hmm. that's just, it's just her little character. But I can mm-hmm. see the her as hopeful as well because she is that leader. Mm-hmm. But um, Olga has beautiful children. And I just see that beautiful little girl when I read that, that character. Mm-hmm. Which characters were your favorite to write?
1: Okay, well, if I dive back in, it's like, whoa. I understand even more about each character. Um, And before I fully answer that question, I will jump back into the joy part. I think joy also represents the little Mm -hmm. girls in all of us, the little inner child Mm -hmm. that sometimes pops in Mm -hmm. and kind of reminds us to be connected to who truly we are. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, this is a thought I have to fully develop because it just came to me right Mm -hmm. now. So it's that little inner being of us that we need to nourish and protect, and wants to hold our hand through life. You know, mm-hmm. the little child. What do you think about that?
0: I think that's so. I think that's so sweet. Is that whole idea of that of returning to that that innocence? How God is able to redeem that in us and and mm-hmm. make it where we can remember those, go back to those times mm-hmm. of innocence, and without a lot of the complication that arises as we yeah. mature.
1: And I think that innocence is well, like we often think innocence versus darkness or like mm-hmm. evil, horrible things. But innocence, I remember growing up, I thought the world was my oyster. Mm-hmm. I could do anything. Mm-hmm. Like whatever my goal, my dream was, you know, I would achieve it. Mm-hmm. Until of course my family and everybody told me that was not gonna happen. <laughs> but like I always believed I could do things, you mm-hmm. know. I always believed things were possible. Mm-hmm. That that's the innocence is what we need to focus on mm-hmm. and nurture in our children. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I would liken it to the original innocence of Adam and Eve before the fall of just the, being able to enjoy what God has created mm. and the beauty of his world and, and just reveling in that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is that that's what Joy represents. Mm-hmm. She's able to do. she's able to do that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that we, that God is able to cultivate in us again, as we mature in our relationship with Mm -hmm.
1: him. I mean, I can just dive into that (laughs) hole. and keep going and going, but I'll get back to your original question, my favorite characters. Um, Well, hopeful, of course, uh, the prophet helper and compassion. I feel that hopeful is is me, and I've learned so much from her. Uh, I've healed as well through having written written about her, and things make way more sense to me now that I have co-created the story. The prophet probably represents to me the wise father figure that I always wanted and needed so desperately. He brings to me a sense of stability and safety. Um, and just writing that book and connecting to him kind of like settles me inside a bit. Um, I love helper who limps as I find it interesting that usually the people that help others often are the ones having gone through tough times or are going through tough times. They have compassion for others, Ergo, the a close relationship between helper and compassion. Uh, another character that I said I love. She's now an old woman, describes herself as not being much to look at, mm-hmm. but having been quite a looker in days gone by, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. That's something like we can dive in deep and also... We need to bring to the forefront this compassion mm-hmm. that we've lost for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love mirth as well. Um, she just brings a little bit of mirth and a little bit of exuberance. Mm-hmm. And she she's not afraid to chuckle and have a happy time, you know, make mm-hmm. light of things. What I found very interesting, and again, like looking back yesterday or, you know, the book, um, the relationships between the characters they have symbolic meaning mm-hmm. and so if we we need to look at like why you know Helper loves being so much with compassion or why mm-hmm. is mirth the the sister of Helper mm-hmm. you know it's like with compassion comes this help, you know? Mm-hmm. You are um, You're want to, I mean, you want to give help mm-hmm. when you have that. And I find it that when you're helpful and mm-hmm. compassionate, there's this level of mirth in you, there's joy that bubbles up, right? in yes. giving back. And mm-hmm. uh, so there's yeah. these things that come together that mm-hmm. need to be, uh, I think, more understood within the book. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: I love that, Olga. Oh, so many gems in that. <laughs>
1: <Good>. <laughs> Okay, you've set
0: this up beautifully for a series of books, which you've just you've you've mentioned. Yes. What more can we expect from Hopeless, Hopeful Story? Mm-hmm. And you've said that you're planning to write more of her story. How is that going? How how are how many books are you
1: thinking in the series?
0: If you can share, you don't have to share, yeah. but also how is the writing of the second book going?
1: Well. Um... The plan is to really dive into it this year when Mike goes back to school and I have to make a schedule. Mike goes uh, to preschool and I feel like this book needs to come out soon. Like I feel this burden, like I need to be focused and I need to be intentional and the Holy Spirit is like preparing me for that Mm -hmm. start because I feel like when it starts pouring out more, it's going to go as a flood. Having said that, over the last few years, i would have snippets of the book coming forth. And I would write it down. Interesting fact, um the first few paragraphs that I've written for that book, which is called Into the Waters. Ooh. Um Yes, it happened right before COVID hit the planet. Seriously. Um, and now looking back, I can see how those words were prophetic, mm-hmm. and they make sense of what mm-hmm. I was going to experience. So I found like, I mentioned before, this mm-hmm. book is very prophetic for me. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that it prophesy or explain what happened to me as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was interesting. Like there's blurbs or little pieces of the apostle that I've written out because it was explaining to me what I was gonna go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like now God is preparing me to start like just going through it without mm-hmm. being snippets, but more like fully on the book is going to be written. Um, so I'm very excited to see yeah. how that goes. You know, i yeah. very excited. As far as how many books, I do have a number. I'm not going to share okay. it yet. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be more than two. OK, so I'm very excited to see how it goes. But I. It's, it's also dependent on my experiences, what I need to go through and what's helpful for me at that time in my life and what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. So I could have easily just sat down and may, I made something up, but this is not the point. I want that book to be given to me, the story to come out and become like alive, which that book for me feels like the first one feels like it's just alive, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. I didn't really do it. I was just the channel for it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um I just you know how close this is to my heart, how you're speaking about stories and how God speaks to us through stories. I just I love that because I have I have had that happen in my life so much and it I mean it still does. I'm I'm reading Pollyanna right now. I know that this is enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> a love of yours as well. Yes. And oh my goodness, there's just, I mean, this is a children's book, but there's so much insight into it. And I love how God can speak to us through stories. It it just, there's something about that tie that he is able to do so beautifully. Stories have so much power. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Olga, for writing one of the good stories.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. But I have to also mention for the audience's sake, um, just a little uh, funny little bit, a, a fact, my sister, Pollyanna was named Pollyanna because of that story. My mom was pregnant, and she had small kids, so she couldn't really read. So she would listen to that story on tape back then. It was on tape. Mm -hmm. Off and on, off and on, off and on. She just loved that story so much. So she called her baby girl Pollyanna. Oh, I love that. Okay. Have
0: you read Pollyanna recently? Oh,
1: it's no, so good. No, I haven't recently, but I oh, read it. it's really good. I watched some movies, though.
0: I was really yeah. surprised at how good it was. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I was, I think I was, I mean, I'll save this for the, the podcast episode, but I had a different expectation than what I got from it. And it mm-hmm. is really a beautiful book that, I mean, God is speaking through. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. before we go, I like to ask a quick round of literary questions at the end for fun. So, Olga, what is the best book you've read in the last year?
1: Honestly, it's hard to tell uh, because the books I've read have all been about different areas of life. um It is hard to compare one to the other when they're based on different topics. but if I have to be completely honest, uh I would have to choose <laughs> I would have to choose my book because um it's so alive to me mm-hmm. like every time I get fresh revelation, and every time I feel connected to read it, there's something that speaks to me and that is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, And again, I can kind of say that without feeling like I'm full of it, because like I said, I give credit to the Holy Spirit, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I feel sometimes when he wants to point something out Mm -hmm. to me and explain, I I can go to that book and something is highlighted.
0: Oh, Mm -hmm. God. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your favorite book of all time?
1: All right. Besides this book (laughs) and we have to say like the Bible and all 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 that. But to be honest, I think the Anne of Green Gables series of books. Uh, probably would be it for me. I can't ever forget them. Um, I also love the books about like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, Little Women, Jane Eyre. I think the classics of the days past have a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably also because there's that innocence we talk mm-hmm. about, this mm-hmm. beauty of being mm-hmm. like a child, mm-hmm. um, seeing the world from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I think... Probably the classics were my best, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite books of all times, because th- I would read books and I'm mm-hmm. like, this is amazing, best book ever. Right. But then I forget it. Yeah. So the books that are the best and favorite are the ones you remember. Yeah. They stay
0: with you. So yeah. did you
1: get to read Anne of Green Gables while you were on vacation? I was reading. I'm not I'm not done. Okay.
0: I haven't. But
1: I, haven't. I will be once we're ready to talk about okay, it. I will good. definitely be ready. Okay. I started taking notes and things. <gasps> well, good. Yeah. I was like writing notes. Oh, it's I was taking like... about some of the, my favorite quotes. Oh, yeah. Oh okay. I cannot wait.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. What is a book you haven't read but have always meant to read?
1: Well, that's easy. <laughs> the Art of War by Sun Tzu. I purchased it but haven't gotten to it yet. It's on my table with other books I'm reading. So I'm hoping like I need to even just do bit by bit. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to have the expectation, yeah. read it fully, but I'll just, you know, look at a um, page and just read it. I find it interesting as well the, you know the connection with uh, successful people who read it and strategists that mm-hmm. read it. Mm-hmm. And I just want to see how that would relate to me or apply to me. And also how that could be in a way a representational strategy, maybe like for a spiritual mm-hmm. warfare in any way connection. Mm-hmm. You know, spiritual warfare is warfare. And here the art of war is also mm-hmm. about warfare. So my husband
0: was reading that maybe last year. Brett was reading it for work. It was mm-hmm. one of his things for work. And he said it was so funny when he'd go to lunch. On campus, and he would have like the art of war, and uh-huh. people would go, "What are you reading?" <laughs> so I like that you'll have to compare notes with him.
1: I would love to. I want to see how it helped him. Yeah, you know, in negotiation or mm-hmm. um, seeing what people are actually hiding behind mm-hmm. what they say or planning, mm-hmm. and how it affected his work. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious to see if his yeah. strategies
0: changed. You know, yeah, because I have not I have not read it, so I'm sure he would love to talk about it. If you could invite any author or literary character to dinner, who would it be? Let's say three to five people, characters. But I've told everyone I tell them you can cheat. And what would you serve?
1: Okay, so these are all ladies. Lady number one, Lucy Maud Montgomery, the author of Anne of Green Gables, (laughs) which came out in 1908. Yep, long time ago. She was a Canadian author. Next one would be Louisa May Alcott, who wrote The Little Women, which I did not understand. Well, I didn't real- not realize, did not know that there's two volumes. So the first one came out in 1868 and the second one in 1869. Okay. Yep. Uh, she was an American author. Yeah. Now, uh, English author from England. Next one, Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. which came out in 1847. I think... I would have to make it a potluck dinner, (laughs) as I would love to taste their favorite dishes. Yep. As for me, I would serve borscht, a big part of my Ukrainian heritage. I may even make homemade ice cream how they may have made it back in the day. I've done that a few times already with my daughter, uh, which is basically, if you're interested, like you take two bags, one is a big bag, one is a small bag, like plastic bags, like sandwich bags or quart bags. So the big bag, you'd have it with ice and sea salt. And the small one that you'd put later into the big bag, in that smaller bag, you'd have milk, sugar and like flavoring like vanilla so you put the smaller bag make sure it's sealed off into the bigger bag with all the ice and salt and you shake it I don't know five to ten minutes you'll see when it starts becoming like ice cream then then you're done there you go easy peasy
0: Olga that's making me so hungry (laughs) because I love borscht and I I mean because I love beets but also Uh the ice cream when you were talking about it Uh there's this farm I want to Ooh. I want to go to it's uh-huh. I think it's near social circle so we'll have to go together and take oh my gosh, the kids let's do it but they have raw milk
1: oh wow! and I've had so it like do you
0: know um coffee camper in Monroe no. they they use it Olga wow it's the best milk ever
1: I was wondering where I could get the raw milk Maya tried it once and she loved it so good oh my goodness and it's so good so many people I know like swear oh. by raw milk it is
0: so creamy and delicious. Mm. So we, we're going to make that ice cream with that. Let's we're going to get some. <laughs> Finally, uh-huh. do you have any book recommendations to share?
1: Yes, I do. And these books are very uh, varied. Uh, some are harder reads, yeah. uh, lighter reads. But OK, so in that past year, I have been really into the books by Emily Lay. I found them to be inspirational and motivational in terms of organizing your Mm -hmm. life, like in a more simplistic and meaningful way. Then there'll be Living Good Daily by Dr. Living Good. He also has a YouTube YouTube channel. Your 21-day guide to experience real health. A book that is easy to read and great for the ones starting out on a health journey. I personally cannot wait to read it to my husband. I I think he needs it. It's easy to understand and I feel like men can process it Mm -hmm. because he just... Well, speaking as, as a man, but he doesn't overcomplicate things. Okay. You know, it's, he's yeah. clear. It's like talking to a beginner mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so that book was extremely helpful and life-changing uh, for me when I read it. And I read it like, you know, some books you just can't put down? Mm-hmm. Like one mm-hmm. day, two days, you're, mm-hmm. you're done. Like yeah. you had to finish it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it was like for me. Then the eighty eighty Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Relationship by Nate Klimp. Nathaniel Klimp, and Kaylee Klimp. Not a very fast read. Okay. I got to tell you that. Uh, as you have to go through some extremely valuable valuable exercises, mm-hmm. um, which you got to do some things, yeah. you know, you got to do those things yeah. and figure things out. It takes your brain a while yeah. to get through it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the next section. But every time we did it, it was super mm-hmm. helpful and super transformative. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think like every married person or like within the you know husband wife they need to get that yeah they have to get that we need to get it like wow i mean i think men will start really appreciating women i think if you if they read that book with all the roles and all that stuff Mm. yeah yep uh so it could be a nice christmas gift to your husband (laughs) i would say it's worth it then the last one no two more um there's another brilliantly laid out book A Grown-Up's Guide to Kids' Wiring by Kathleen Edelman, which helped me so much to understand my own kids. Um, It basically talks about four different temperaments. Oh, right. Yes. yes, You mentioned that to me. Yes. Yes, yes. Amazing. Okay. um, will give you so much clarity about your kids, how to talk to them, how to understand Mm -hmm. them, how they just have ingrained Mm -hmm. natural ways of being Mm -hmm. in the world that you can't really fight against. It just Mm -hmm. will create too much conflict, you know? Mm uh and one more the last one intuitive eating a revolutionary program that works Uh, i forgot to write down who the authors were but look it up okay it was i think like from the 90s or something uh this book helped me helped free me to enjoy my life and myself a little bit Mm -hmm. more i was just done with all the dieting i tried Mm -hmm. this i tried that you know Mm -hmm. even not necessarily like focused on losing weight, I, you know, mm-hmm. just health-wise. You're like, this diet will be the healthiest, this. Yes. And then you get stuck in, in ways like mm-hmm. that, just not joyful. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, you know, how do kids eat? Oh, no. They don't That's have any diet perfect. books, no. you know? And I thought, how? Why, do, why don't I just go back to that? Mm-hmm. You know, and kids know certain things, like they should eat, shouldn't eat. I mean, you know, within reason, you have to mm-hmm. understand. And so then I started to follow these two rules within my life and then this book came oh. to explain things more yeah. and the the two rules are eat when you're hungry mm. don't eat when you're not mm. and then the second thing eat what makes your body feel good mm. And you start paying attention. Some things you'll eat, you're like, nah, Mm -hmm. I don't have my energy. I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. My body's saying, no. And there's some things you eat, you're like, whoa, I feel great. Mm -hmm. And I found, actually, I became so much more happier when I started to include more carbs in my life. Hmm. Yeah, because I was kind of, for a while, anti-carbs. Yeah. And it worked, I guess. Like, if you do super anti-carbs, you do, do lose weight but even when i would eat them i would be a bit nervous or like Mm -hmm. it's like the evil you know and now I'm done. I'm like, yeah. whatever my body's asking. And you'll go through a process of like the first few months, maybe you'll be eating a little more because you're like, ooh. Right, you just, can you eat? Yeah. Yes, you can eat. Yeah. And then you settle down. And like, you're, you don't have these weird cravings because mm-hmm. you're not supposed to. Uh, you just follow the body. Learn to trust yourself. Learn your, you know, what's instinctually in there. Yeah. The body will say sometimes skip a meal or, yeah. you know, double up. Or mm-hmm. like, you need to eat. soon even though you just ate you know it depends but you gotta start trusting yourself and Mm that this wisdom that got placed into the body Mm -hmm. and be again be a little bit more innocent you know like trust them. like the kids eat just just be like a kid Right. Period. Learn what yes. kids do and try to replicate that in your right.
0: life. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I have craved like vegetables and mm-hmm. fruit lately, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. all the delicious watermelon oh, yeah. <laughs> that is right now. So I, I know that I, for like, there's like a couple of weeks, there's like, if I don't have watermelon, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love that you brought that out. Mm-hmm. Olga, thank you again so much for being here and doing this a second time. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy our conversations. I, for you those of you who don't know. I Olga lives very near me, and she's a very dear friend. So I get to see her on a very regular basis, and I am very blessed by that. And I have loved having you on the show the second time, yep. as well as the first time. So thank you again so much.
1: Oh, you are so welcome. It's my pleasure. I love doing it, and I want to do more. Good. Period. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
0: Yes, because I'm hoping to have Olga on again to talk about. Anne of Green Gables series. So watch for that. (laughs) Thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Yes. All right. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at wellreadbeth. And if you've enjoyed today's episode and the podcast in general, would you consider leaving a rating or review? It's just a small way you can help other people find the podcast. Well, happy reading. Until next time.